Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Yeah, the Apostle Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that Jesus Christ has become the first fruits of those who have, uh, have died. And that since he died and rose again, if you're in him, that when you die, you will rise again. And that later in that chapter, he talks about the trump. He says, that trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised to incorruption. Which means that if you've passed on, that you're going to be raised again, and you're going to get a new body. That's good news. Who's ready for a new body? Yes. Yeah, Don says amen, and yes and amen. The, the older we get, the, uh, the more we're looking forward to that new body. And if you're still alive when Jesus comes and that trump sounds, and you're in Christ, you'll get a new body too. So that trumpet's a great thing to look forward to, to hear that trumpet. But if you don't know Jesus, that trumpet's not a good thing. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, today's your day. Can we get the lights up in the, uh, in the auditorium, please, in the sanctuary? I will move these uh, so I don't knock over everything like I did last week. All right. Hey, I can see you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here today. Ah. So you can imagine on that day when that trumpet sounds and people all around the world come out of the grave. You think it's chaotic today? <laughs> you think there's like the media is going nuts today? That day will be crazy. They won't know what happened. But we know what's happening. Well, uh, today I want to take a time. Just this, this past week, I just asked the Lord. I was like, Lord, how long can this go on? Anybody been asking God that lately? How much longer? 2020, corona, political season. I mean, how much longer can this go on? It's wearing me out. And so God, God took me this week to, to the book of Nahum. Now, if you've never, uh, it's in the Old Testament. And the book of Nahum is one of what we call the minor prophets. Not minor in the, in the aspect that Nahum was a, a little guy or that he was uh, less impactful. But if you, if you study the Old Testament, there's major prophets, typically the longer uh, prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, big long books, and then the smaller ones. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, those, those are minor prophets. So in the book of Nahum, I'll just give you a little background on the book. The book of Nahum is kind of like a sequel. Anybody ever watch a sequel? No. Anybody ever go to the movies? Not, not anymore. No, you don't. That's a thing of the past, too. No, so the book of Nahum is like a sequel to the book of Jonah. So most people are more familiar with the book of Jonah. If you remember that God sends Jonah to the city, what city did he go to? Nineveh. He sends him to the city of Nineveh, and he says, I'm going to destroy Nineveh uh, unless they repent. And of course, Jonah doesn't want to go. He gets on the ship. He goes to Tarshish. They throw him overboard. He gets uh, caught up in the belly of a big fish. Three days he spends uh, in the belly of the fish, spits him out on the land, and he goes and preaches to the city of Nineveh and says, if you don't repent, God's going to judge the city, destroy the city. And it said, on the first day, everybody repented. <laughs> and he was actually upset about it, <laughs> believe it or not. So fast forward 100 years. So now 100 years later, Nineveh that had repented under the ministry of Jonah has now gone back into their evil ways. It's a wicked city. Nineveh was the capital of, the, of, the, of Assyria. And Nineveh at that time was oppressing, for generation after generation, was oppressing Judah. And I'm sure the people of Judah at that time were thinking things like we are. Where's God in the middle of all this? When's this going to end? God, where are you? I've had those thoughts. I'm sure you've had those thoughts. And so in the middle of, of, not in the middle, but in verse 7, 
of chapter 1. So the book of Nahum is really this prophecy about the destruction of Nineveh that's going to come. And I think in around 612, give or take, B.C., the city of Nineveh is literally completely destroyed, so much so that up until just 150 years ago, people thought that Nineveh didn't even exist, that it was just an allegory in the Old Testament of something bad until they discovered it in the mid-1800s and were like, oh, wow, imagine that. The Bible's right. Go figure. So I want to look at this story. We're going to read the first eight verses. Verse 7 says the words that I want to bring to you today. Verse 7 says that God is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Everybody say that. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Father, I just pray today as we open your word, Holy Spirit, use it to encourage, to speak, to challenge, to convince, Father, that you are good no matter what the circumstance is, that you want to be our stronghold, and Lord, you know those that truly, truly trust in you. Father, I thank you for this time. Speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we look at this, when we look at the Old Testament, we see, uh, we see a God who brings judgment on people. So a lot of times we read these stories in the Old Testament and we get a picture of God a certain way. But then Jesus comes, and Jesus is the manifestation of the very nature of God. So Jesus brings us a clearly different picture of God, and what I want you to remember is that when Jesus came, he said that the law and the prophets were until John, speaking of John the Baptist. But since that time, the kingdom is preached and everybody is pressing into it. Because under the law and the prophets, there was judgment. When the kingdom begins to get preached, all of a sudden, wow, this is great. This is something new. This is the age of grace. And this is the time that we now live. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets, but to do what? But to fulfill them. So what does that mean? So the law, just think of it like this. Jesus, we know that Jesus fulfilled the law, that he kept the law perfectly, all 613 of those do's and don'ts. So essentially the law was for the purpose of pointing out what's right and what's wrong. And without the law, we don't know what's right or wrong. So God brought the law in to establish this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Everybody has broken it in one fashion or another. The book of James says if you offend in one point, that you're guilty of the whole thing. So it's, it's kind of like if, if I took a BB gun to one of these windows and I shoot it and crack it, I don't just have to replace the one piece, I've got to replace the whole glass. So that if you offend just in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. So that Jesus came and fulfilled the law, and he kept it perfectly. And on top of that, he said, I'm coming to fulfill the prophets. Well, the prophet really had two, two, uh, two main emphases. The prophet talked about the judgment that would come because of breaking the law. And the prophet would also talk about the coming Messiah that was going to come one day. So the prophet was talk about judgment and talk about hope. Jesus fulfilled the law that he kept it perfectly but he also fulfilled the prophets that on, at the cross, he took all the judgment, all the penalty, all the shame, all the guilt, all the sin, and died the death that you should die. And he also fulfilled the hope of the Messiah that was coming. So when we look at the Old Testament, we look under the Old Covenant, I've told you this before, I want you to put on your New Covenant lenses. We want to look at this through the lens of the New, new Covenant that, that, that we now live under. So we're going to read some things that, are, that sound bad, but in the midst of this, so you have Nahum, he's delivering this to, to the people, and he's saying, hey, it's bad, but right in the midst of what's going on that's bad, God's good. And, and I, I really probably would rather title this God is good, but I had to pick one. I didn't know whether God is good, he's a stronghold, or he knows who trusts him. So I went with a stronghold in the day of trouble. because I feel like that's, that's kind of like what we're living in. That's kind of the day today. So let's go ahead and read this. Uh, we'll turn to Nahum chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, or you can look up here, Nahum 1. And we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 8. 
The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. So there's a point there that I want, I want to make a point, that God will not acquit. So if you've ever been to court before and you've been, you've been uh, charged with something, what's everybody want? You want an acquittal, right? You want to be found innocent. You want to be let off the hook. So, so the prophet here says that God will never acquit the wicked. God will never let you go free. That all sin must be accounted for and all sin must be punished. That happens one of two places. That either happens at the cross or that happens in eternity in hell. And that's your choice. So your sin, the book of Romans tells us, says for all have sinned. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's fallen short of God's standard. That's Jesus. You've fallen short. He set the standard. You've fallen short. It also tells us that the wages or the penalty for your sin is death. That because you sinned, the law demands death. But the good news is Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus took your penalty. Now, God does not acquit sin because he's just. He's just. He has to punish sin. But the good news is he sent Jesus to take your punishment. So you can let that judgment fall at the cross. You can receive that and be forgiven. Or you can say, no, I got it. I'm going to do it myself. And you can spend the rest of eternity paying for that. I suggest you put your faith in Jesus. It's a, be it's a better choice. It's kind of like when God, when Moses was reading the children of Israel in, in Deuteronomy 30, and he said, I lay before you today life and death. Anybody remember this verse? Blessing and cursing. So he said, I'm going to give you a a two-part exam. It's A and B. You only got two. It's not like A, B, C, D. It's just A and B. Life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. So he gives you the options, but he even tells you the answer to pick. Choose life. It's much better. Life's better than death. Blessing's better than cursing. Choose that. So it's really up to you. All right. So verse 4 says, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind. Now, now, I really want to just think about this. Because as we read these things, I want you to think of it in this, this context that the mighty power of God that he displays over creation and also in the destruction of the wicked is the same power that he displays and employs for the protection and provision of those that are his. So to the same degree... That he, we're going to see his power over creation to that same degree as the power that he puts in place to provide for and to protect for you. So listen to this. It says, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind. So think about an EF5 tornado, right? 170 mile an hour plus winds. It says he's got his way in that tornado. If he wants to walk through it, he's going to walk through it. If he wants to walk on top of it, he's going to walk on top of it. And in the storm... A Category 5 hurricane. Walks right through it. He has his way. It doesn't, doesn't impede him. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. So he has his way in the tornado. His words speak over top of the rivers and the seas and dry them up. Bashan and Carmel wither. The flower of wet Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Next slide. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. This is what the prophet is, is pronouncing judgment on Nineveh for their sin. But in the midst of that, here he gives this verse of hope, to the people of Judah, he says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place. And darkness, with darkness, he will pursue his enemies. All right. Anybody want to figure out what the three points are today? God is good. You guys are with it. Ready? God is good. He's a stronghold in the day of 
trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Don't want to talk about that today. All right, number one, God is good. All right, so if I said this, i got enough churchy people here. Anybody here churchy? I don't like churchy. I'm not real churchy. But i got enough churchy eyes. Is churchy eyes the word? Jordan, you probably get a better vocabulary than I do. Is churchy eyes the word? Can we make it? Can we put, you know what, Urban Dictionary, it's in there, I guarantee you. Churchy eyes. If it's not, I'm putting it in. If I say, God is good, what do you say? I knew you guys are churchy-eyed. I knew it. You know, I've been to churches, and man, people will make a message out of this, but it's, I feel like it's something we say and don't even think about the meaning of it or don't even 100% believe it. You know, it, it almost makes me feel like when I was a kid and there was Miller Lite commercials. Now, this is going back, and you're like, we're talking about beer in church. Well, you'll get the point. So you have one side, and they say, tastes great. And the other side would say, less filling. Tastes great. Less filling. And I almost feel like God is good all the time. God is good. And we just say it. But I need to tell you that God is good. It's good because his word says he's good. But here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of times... We have experiences in our life that make us question the goodness of God. And if you tell me you haven't had this thought, we'll talk about lying later. If he was a good God, then why did he allow... Anybody ever thought that? Fill in the blank. If God was so good then why did he allow this to happen? Why did he send this into my life? Why did he permit this? So I just want to take a minute and talk to you about a lot of times what confuses us and brings bad theology into, uh, into our, our thinking is that we don't really understand the sovereignty of God. Now before you say amen, you might want to know what I want to, I'm going to say because you may not agree. But hear me out. How many times do we ever hit a situation we don't understand, or you're telling somebody about something in your life, and they say, well, you know, God is in... Oh, you guys are churchy-ized. Right? We, if we, if we put it in this box of God is in control. Can I tell you there's a difference between, being, between God being in charge... And God being in control. Be, think of it like this. I've, I've, got, I've got several businesses. At each one of those businesses, I'm in charge. But I'm not in control. Because I've delegated the authority at that rooftop to somebody that's there. I have a perfect plan for that business. I have a perfect plan for this business. I have a perfect plan for this business. But the fact that that plan happens or not relies on the person that's in control at that location. See, if we believe that God is control, in control, then we have to believe that everything that happens was his will. Let me say that again for you. If you believe that God is in control, then you've got to believe that everything that happens is his will. It's not. God's will does not always come to pass. I'm going to prove it to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What's God's will? Abstain from sexual immorality. Does that always happen? I better be a big no. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give 
thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you always give thanks? Are you thankful in every situation? Is it God's will? Is it God's will that you give thanks in every situation? Does it always happen? No. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is that no one perishes. God's will is that everybody comes to repentance. Does that happen? No. It's his will See, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, but few there be that find it. Narrow is the way, or sorry, many that find it. Narrow is the way and few that find the way that leads to life. So there's lots of things that God has planned for me, God has planned for you, God has planned for this church that don't necessarily come to pass because he's given the authority on this earth to us. So you got to realize that when God put Adam on the earth, he gave authority to Adam. Adam forfeited it to Satan. God sends Jesus as a man to get back what Adam lost. And then when Jesus left, guess who he gave it to? Us. The psalmist says, the heaven, even the highest heavens is the Lord, but the, the earth he has given to man. See, what happens is, quite often, we have in a situation come into our life, and we think, oh, well, it's bad. It must be God's will. So we, we fall back on this. I don't want to say fall back in a bad way, because I kind of like, let's call it the ace in the hole. Anybody got an ace in the hole verse? Let me give you an ace in the hole verse. Romans 8.28. You probably know it. And we know, what? That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So we know that God can take a bad situation, whether it was the enemy, whether it was my bad decision, whether it was none of the above. He can take a bad situation and work it out for good. But just the fact that he works it out for good doesn't mean it was his intent. See, because sometimes what happens when the devil brings something bad into our life, we embrace it because we think, well, God will work it out for good, therefore I'll embrace this situation. you got to know, is it from God? Is it good? Or is it from the devil? And is it bad? If it's from God, embrace it. If it's from the enemy, it says resist him and he'll flee. See, sometimes people say, well, I don't believe God sent it, but God allows it. That's just really a lesser thought of the same idea. My, my son's going to be a doctor next year. Now, he's going to be a gynecologist, but I'm going to assume for a minute he's going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Because the gynecologist could take me down the wrong path. And you guys know how I think. So. Let's just assume for a minute he's going to be an orthopedic surgeon. If I broke my daughter's arm so that my son could display his skills of setting a bone, what kind of dad would I be? I'd probably end up in jail. But we put God in that same box. Say, well, I don't believe God sent it, but he allowed it. Well, what kind of dad would I be if I allowed somebody to come into my home to break my daughter's arm while I sat and watched so that my son could display his skills and reset the bone? That's just as bad. That's not your father. Your father is good. Even in creation, if you read through Genesis chapter 1, everything that God made was what? Good. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. Everything. God doesn't make bad things. God makes nothing bad. Everything that God makes is good. When Jesus came, there was a rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but the Father. Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't good. Jesus was saying, If you're calling me good, I'm also God, which he was. The Father's good. Jesus is good. He has no bad thoughts about you. He always is thinking positive for you. But see, we can have bad situations in our life that make us question, is God really good? I want to tell you what to do with that thought. Reject it. Stand against it. Because God is always, always good. In addition to having, go to the next slide. I guess I better get moving here. What's the next slide? So sometimes we got to reject these things that the enemy brings into our life, not embrace them thinking that they're from God, because all of a sudden I can let that thing diminish what I believe about God and his goodness, that he's always good. Everything he does is good. But the, the psalmist in Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord, he is what? Good. So there's also measures of God's goodness that can only be accessed through experience. See, there's levels of understanding that can only be accessed through experience. So I, never base your doctrine on experience. God's word says he's good, he's good. Remember we said last week, forever, Lord, your word is settled where? In heaven. God's good. But there's also ways to experience additional levels and have more understanding of the goodness of God. So think about it like this. I've had people tell me, here's one I haven't experienced. Man, when you get grandkids, it's so much better to raise grandkids than kids. Can anybody attest to that? Okay, a couple. Is that true? Okay, but I know that. I'm looking forward to those grandkids, but until I actually experience that for myself, I don't completely understand it. If I told you that, hey, having a wife is the greatest thing that you could ever experience, and if you knew my wife, you would know well, that's true. Hey, do you know Kristen got her first tattoo this week? <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never see it. Not that it's in a bad spot. It's her eyebrows. <laughs> uh, she's laughing. She said, I look like Groucho Marx. Now you're all going to be looking at her. <laughs> uh, i got to stop. So David has this invitation. He says, I want you to taste. Taste has to do with experience. Once you taste, then you're going to be able to see. See means to perceive. See means to understand. So that there's some things about God that he's inviting us into this. He's giving us an invitation to experience what he has for us. But you've got to be able to take a step into it. See, I could stand up here all day long and tell you, how many know what gravity is? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? How many know what gravity is? Are you afraid to answer? How many experience gravity? You do every day. How many have ever experienced the acceleration due to gravity? Okay, so I just experienced it just now in a very small measure. See, the acceleration due to gravity says that in the first one second, you're going to fall 9.8 meters. It's about 30 feet. In the second second, you're going to fall double that, so about 60 feet. And then it keeps adding each time. So that most of us, if we fall just a short bit, we just experience a little bit of it. But if you do a base jump or you skydive, you're going to get an experience that's completely different than this. 
So there's certain things with God that I can only understand as I begin to walk into it and experience. Does that make sense? He's got good plans for you. And he wants you to walk into it. He wants you to experience it. He wants you, David said, to taste it. Next slide. So you've got to be completely and fully persuaded that God is always good and he has good plans for you. Common verse. Next slide. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. How many know this verse? You ought to put this verse in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, write it down, memorize it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for what? Good. So God's not only good, but he has good plans for you. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. Other translations say thoughts of peace. Peace is the word shalom. It means wholeness, completeness, soundness. God wants everything put together in your life. God doesn't want you missing in any area. He wants your life to be complete. He wants it to be whole. They're not plans for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Hope is really a confident expectation of good. So if I, if I don't know that God has good plans for me, how can I ever expect anything good to happen in my life? God wants good in your life. God's good. God only makes good things. God only prepares good things. If it's bad, where'd it come from? Oh, come on. If it's bad, who sent it? The devil. What did Jesus say in John 10? Look at this verse. Next slide. It says, the thief comes, not for except to do what? Steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life. I am the what? What's Jesus? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he says the devil's coming to take away. The devil's coming to steal. The devil's coming to destroy. Everything the enemy does is bad. I'm the good shepherd. I'm coming to give life. If you don't know, let me make it real simple for you. Next slide. If it's good, it's of God. If it's bad, where'd it come from? It came from hell. So God doesn't make mistakes. God does nothing bad. God is what? Good. I want you to go out today thinking God is good. So it's... it's Having that, it's almost like a foundation or a cornerstone of your thought. Because if I don't know that God is good, how can I ever walk into anything that He has for me? I've got to have confidence knowing that He's good in everything for my life, for my business, for my ministry, for my family, for my kids. Good, good, good. Number two. God is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's a stronghold <clears throat> in the day of trouble. What's a stronghold? So often we think of strongholds in a negative sense. Anybody ever hear about bad strongholds? Yeah, strongholds can be bad. The enemy desires to set up strongholds in your mind. He wants to have strongholds in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, 4 and 5, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means physical, uh, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Casting down imaginations or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So see, here's how the enemy works. He starts, it's actually in reverse order here, but he starts with thoughts, and that thought becomes a high thing or a proud thing, and that proud thing becomes an argument or imagination, and before you know it, you've got a stronghold in your life. You've got a stronghold that's like got you in captivity. That's what he wants to do. But the flip side of that is God says, don't allow the enemy to create strongholds in your life. Come to me and let me be your stronghold. I want to be your stronghold. I want to be your fortress. I want to be your place of safety. So that's what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a place or a means of safety. It's a place or a means of safety. It actually means the word fortress. 
that God wants to be the fortress that you reside in. See, how many times do we want to play in the world until things get bad, and then what do we want to do? I want to go run back to the fortress of God. Oh, okay, things are okay. I'm going back out. I'm going to play with the fire some more. Oh, getting a little hot. Better go back. Okay, I'm, I'm uh, all right. I'm going to go uh, crawl over here and do that. No. See, if he's going to be your, you don't know when the enemy's coming in. So I suggest you stay in God. Don't go running around with the world. Don't go running around seeing how close you can get to the fire and, and how close you can get to temptation without falling over the edge. Stay in the stronghold. God wants to be your stronghold. Here's a good thing. Day of trouble. That word trouble means adversity. Anybody going through some adversity today? It means distress. Anybody got a little distress in your life? It means calamity. It means tribulation. Here's the good news. They had been being oppressed by Nineveh for generations. And what's God call it? A day of trouble. See, when God looks at this thing from the perspective of eternity, it's a day. See, you're going through it right now, and it, maybe it's been a week, maybe it's been a month, maybe you've been stuck in this rut for a year. God says it's a day of trouble. It's a day of trouble. The Lord says a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day to him. He can take care of this now. The other thing is the fact that it is a day, he's put a time on it, guess what it has? It has an expiration date. That thing, it's, he didn't say this is an eternity of trouble. He said it's a day of trouble. So know this, God's good. God's got a good plan for you. You might be going through it right now. If it's from the enemy, reject it. But it has an expiration date. It's not going to last forever. You will come out of this, and you will come out of this victorious. That's what I know. All right, next slide. Let's go on to the next one. So sometimes we think, we think, well, I'm a Christian. Nothing bad happens to Christians. Anybody call bull on that one? Right? I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Things happen. Things happen not because God planned them, because we live in a sin-ridden world. See, nothing bad happened in the earth until sin entered. God created a perfect environment. That was his plan for Adam. Everything was good. Nothing bad came in until sin entered in. But we live in a sin-cursed world. Bad things happen. Here's David. Of all people, David was a man after God's what? Own heart. A guy that understood forgiveness. A guy that had a picture of the new covenant. A guy that just stayed in the presence of God. But he had people out after him. The king that he was under was King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill David. Matter of fact, if you read Psalm 59, I encourage you to read it, the very beginning of Psalm 59 says, basically a poem put to music that David wrote when Saul sent messengers to kill him. So here's David. He's been anointed as king, but he's not the king yet. Saul's trying to kill him, trying to wipe him out. And he, he talks to his son Jonathan, says, hey, I'm going to kill David. Jonathan says, no, nah, you know, let's, let's, let's not go that far. And then next day, an evil spirit comes on Saul, and he throws a spear at David and tries to kill him. Are you having that bad of a day? And then the next day, Saul, after he misses David, he sends messengers to David's house, and his wife, I don't know if his wife got wind of it from her father, or if she was prompted by the Holy Spirit, but she said, you need to leave or you're going to get killed tonight. And she actually sent David out the window, puts an idol or an image in his bed, puts goat's hair on it. So when the guys came to get David, she said, oh, he's sick. And so they left. And Saul said, go back and bring his bed to me, and I'll kill him in his bed. And when they went back to his room, they pulled back the sheets, and there sits an, a big uh, wooden image with goat's hair on it. And they realized they were deceived. God made a way. See, stronghold means 
a means or a place of safety. Sometimes it's a place, sometimes it's a way out. God always provides a way out. David knew this. David was a man after God's own heart, but he still had people after him. He still had to fight the enemy. He said, I'll sing of your strength. I'll joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning, for you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. Hey, he had trouble too. It's not that you're not going to have trouble. It's what are you going to do when the trouble comes? Dave and I were talking about, thinking about who are you going to call? Remember that? We thought about making this the thing for where we're fogging. We were fogging the, we're going to do this, David. We're fogging the auditorium. Well, I wasn't, but David, David was. And I said, we ought to make this like a Ghostbuster song. Well, I ain't afraid of no virus. <laughs> Just start walking around, fogging the place. Well, who are you going to call? You're going to call on the Lord. You're going to call on the Lord. He's your stronghold. See, but the enemy wants to create strongholds in your life. He wants to do things in your life that keep you from God. He wants to bring things in your life that keep you from God. God says, stay in me, stay in me, dwell in me, abide in me. I'll protect you. All right, last. The enemy wants to form strongholds in your life. God wants to be the stronghold in your life. All right, here's the most important one. Cornerstone, foundation. You got to believe that God's good. When I know God's good, and I know his plans for me are good, and I know his intentions for me are always good, and I know he's out to protect me, not to harm me, that he has plans of peace, what can I put in him at that point? Trust. I don't want to put my trust in somebody that doesn't have my best interest at heart. I don't want to trust somebody that doesn't care about me. I don't want to trust somebody that I question their intentions. That one day they're good and the next day they're bad. That one day they're for me, the next day they're, they're biting me in the back. The one day they're... they're they're giving me, you know, a hand up. The next day they're giving me a punch in the face. God's always good. And because He's always good, I can put my trust in Him. See, it says that God knows those that trust in Him. That word knows, is really, it really has the connotation of intimacy. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, that said, Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived a child. It talks about intimacy. That God knows if you're wanting to do business or not. God knows if there's really something there or not. Are you just going through the motions? God knows are you just trying to run to him when things are bad and running away from him when things are good. See, God knows the ones that trust in him. So a lot of times, you might fool, you might fool me. You might fool me. You might fool your friends. You might fool your coworkers. You go to work, you have your old John 3:16 on the wall. You say God loves you. You might say God bless you. You might fool everybody at work. But God knows. When David was being anointed as king, the guy anointing him thinks that the, the, I think it was Samuel, he thinks that the older brother is the guy. And God says, hey, don't look on him, for God sees not the way man, or man doesn't see the way God sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God, what's God see? He sees the heart. God knows. You might have everybody fooled in the world. You might even have your spouse fooled, but God knows. See, there's coming a day that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you're going to have to answer for everything that you've done in life and actually pay for that. I said that earlier. 
God will never acquit sin. It's either judged at the cross, you either receive what Jesus did, or it's judged in eternity in hell. And you spend eternity paying for that. So there's a, go to the next slide, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It's a sobering story Jesus tells about people that, that come before him and talk about Jesus knowing your heart. People come before him and says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He didn't say that you were saved and you walked away. or He said, I never knew you. There was never a relationship. You might have even fooled everybody. You might have prophesied. You might have cast out demons. You might have done all kinds of things that on the outside looked like you were a believer. But there was never a day that you actually put your trust in me. See, sometimes we even see people that a lot of times we think, well, how could they do anything miraculous if they weren't saved? So you've got to think about this. If you look at the end of Mark chapter 6, 16, when it says, these signs will follow those that believe, they will cast out demons, they will speak with other tongues, if they uh, drink anything deadly, it shall by no means hurt them, uh, they shall pick up serpents, you lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, all those. And it says, they went out and preached... The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs. So that miraculous signs confirm the word of God. They don't necessarily confirm the person. So you've got to be careful. We might be fooled. God's never fooled. You might fool everybody on earth. But there comes a day when that trumpet sounds, and that's either a good sound or a bad sound. See, it says, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven except those that do the will of my Father in heaven. It's real simple. It's not keeping the Old Testament law. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not coming to church on Sunday. It's not praying every day of the week. It's not reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's one thing. John 6, last slide. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and does what? Believes in him may have everlasting life. See, Jesus came that you could have life, and that you could have life abundant, and that you could have life everlasting. See, the Apostle Paul, he explains a little bit more. He said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So there's this connection between the mouth and the heart. So there are a lot of people that mouth the words. I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. God's a good God. James says the devils believe. So you've got to get your mouth and your heart in unison. You've got to say that, yes, I believe Jesus is the Lord. You've got to believe it. And this is what God sees. We see this. I can see your profession of faith, but I can't see your heart. See, God sees your heart. So I want to ask you today, I want to stand up. We're going to pray. We're done. Biggest question you can, you can answer, number three. I want to pray for those that are going through a tough time here in a minute. But God knows those that trust in him. And if he knows those that trust in him, guess what else he knows? Those that don't. So I could look out here today and you could say, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I know the Lord. I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. But here's the, here's the fact. God knows. 
God sees your heart. God sees behind that exterior. He knows. The best decision you could say today is, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. So if you've never done that today, if you've never known what it means to have your sins forgiven, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you just to slip up your hand and say, say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to know that I know. See that hand. Thank you right here. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, so here's all I do. I want you to say this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I know that he died and he rose again the third day. And I put my faith and my trust 100% in him. And now I'm a child of God, according to your word. In Jesus' name. Let's give a hand for that one dude. Amen. So you know, right now in heaven, the angels are doing a little bit of this. They're dancing. Said the angels in heaven are excited. We're excited. So I want to pray for you today. Anybody, anybody going through it? I mean, I mean everybody, right? Let's just receive what God has for us today. Just stretch your hands out like this. We're going to receive what God has. Just going to just put your hands out, just a way to receive from God. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to just to just to be that strong tower today. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray for that one that just received you, to put their faith and trust in you. I ask you to fill them in the name of Jesus. Be real to them, speak to them, confirm to their heart that they are now the righteousness of God, that all their sins are completely forgiven. Father, that each person right here with their hands raised today, God, we're all going through it. Sometimes we say, God, where are you in the midst of this? But Holy Spirit, you have never left us. Jesus, you will never forsake us, that you've never gone anywhere, that you're right here. Father, that you're good. Lord, I just pray your goodness right now over everybody here today, everybody watching online. I just pray good things. Father, may your good plans come to pass in their life. Lord, plans to prosper them, plans of peace, plans that are not of evil or disaster, plans that are of an expected end. And, and a hope of a good future. I just declare that over them now in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those going through it, I just ask that you would, they would draw close to you in this time of need. And Father, that you would be their strong tower, that you would be their fortress. Father, that you would just encourage and strengthen them in your mighty power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you today. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for coming.